Okay, well, welcome to Rooted, a study in Colossians. This is week six. Uh, just a quick public service announcement. If you do not have a binder and you would like one, the binders are in the back underneath the table in the back of the sanctuary. If you do not have, if you weren't here last week or a previous week, you can get uh, previous week's lessons in the Welcome Center. There's a little... I don't know what you call it, a file container. Uh, and anyway, they are in there listed by date. So if you missed a week, you can pick up a week and uh, you can have that. If you didn't get the intro material, that's 17 pages of background study tools. If you didn't get that, you need to let me know, please, and I will get you a copy. We don't have any of those printed out. So that's just a quick PSA for you. So, okay, so this is week six. Just by way of review, week one, if you remember, Bill talked about background on the book of Colossians, why we wanted to do this study, what we hope to gain from this study, some of the tools that we were going to use, and we had a discussion about how do you do Bible study and what tools do you use, and wh what tools are helpful, what tools are not helpful. Week two, Bill taught again, we talked about the true gospel and how only the true gospel enables you to bear good fruit. Remember, part of the discussion was, can a non-believer bear good fruit? And the answer we came up with was no, because by definition, you have to have the spirit to bear good fruit. Week three was Tom Lindsay. We talked about verses 9 through 15, I think, 9 through 15 or 9 through 14. Anyway, it was Paul's prayer for the Colossians, and we talked about wisdom, the different types of wisdom and understanding and how those are good things and how we need them and how they should apply to our lives. And then week four and five, the past two weeks, has been Willie Brooks, and we talked about the preeminence of Christ and Christ as the head of the church. So week four, we talked about how Christ is the firstborn over all creation, and we said that does not mean that Christ was created. It simply means that Christ is above all things. All things exist because of him and for him. And without him, nothing exists. So he is, the, he is the head of everything. And then last week, we talked about Christ is the head of the church. And since we're all part of the church, Christ is our head. And what does that mean for us as believers that Christ is the head of the church? What, what impact should that have on our lives? So... Hopefully that catches you guys up, and none of that was Greek to anybody. Um, or you're like, what? Was I here that week? Um, so hopefully that made sense. Okay, this is what we're going to do this week. Some Bible study tools, methods. We're going to do a brief word study. We're going to look at two Greek words in the verses that we're studying. We're going to use a Bible dictionary to get the definition of one of those words. And we're going to do a concordance search. And so none of this should be new to anybody. We've done these before. Um, should, be, should be fairly familiar. Just a quick word, too. We've been kind of by default using Blue Letter Bible, which I think is a good resource. It's easy to use. It's pretty intuitive. But if you're using something else, that's fine. We're not, you know, that's not the official Lion and Lamb uh, website. Uh, and if you're using paper, that's great, too. I have the huge Strong's concordance. On my bookshelf, Mike uses it sometimes to prop up the uh, 
the cross, which tells you how much I use it, right? Um, and so, but anyway, there is value in having that big book and, and using those tools, okay? So we don't want to minimize any of that. All right. Once enemies now saved. This is the title of our lesson today. And I put an exclamation point behind saved because I think uh, it should go there because that's good news, right? And what we want to do today is we want to discuss the good news. So the Bible is full of admonitions to remember. In my devotional reading, I'm in Deuteronomy. And large portions of the book of Deuteronomy are Moses. If you'll remember, the Israelites are about to go into the promised land, and a lot of it is Moses telling them, remember your former slavery in Egypt, because you're about to go into the land. Remember that you were slaves. Remember what God did for you when he punished the Egyptians. Remember how you wandered in the desert and your sandals didn't wear out and your clothes didn't wear out. Remember how I fed you manna. And there's method to Moses' madness because he knew the Israelites were going to go into the promised land and that they were going to probably be seduced by the gods, <coughs> excuse me, the gods of the people of the land. Remember all the Ite peoples, right? The Girgashites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, all those Ites. Um, and so Moses was telling them, remember, remember what God did for you. Now, our passage in Colossians is not an explicit call to remember, but kind of the tack I want to take today is, I think we can use these verses to recall our former slavery to sin and God's grace and his mercy to us in reconciling us. And a, and a quick caveat before we do this, if you are remembering and you're wallowing in your sin and you're like, oh, I did this and I did this, I did this, and I'm such a worm, you're doing it wrong, okay? We're not talking about rehashing or relitigating all the sins you've committed in your life because those were laid at the cross. The blood of Christ covers them. What we are talking about is we're remembering. So I can, I can look back at my misspent youth and I can think, wow, God really saved me from making some horrible mistakes. And so that, now I look, and I don't recognize that guy that was back then doing really idiotic things. And so it engenders, at least in my life, it engenders a gratitude and a hope for what Christ is doing in my life and what he's going to continue to do. And so that's kind of the tack I want to take today. I want to use these verses so that we can think back, we can remember, we can know where we've been, where we're going. So let's get into the text. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Okay, so the first thing we want to do is we want to look at those two words, alienated and reconciled, because when we see them in the English, we maybe have a context of what they mean. Uh, but we want to see what does the original language, what does the Greek say? So, we're going to look up, again, using Blue Letter Bible, we look up the Greek word, and I'm not an English scholar, much less a Greek scholar, I'll tell you that. My wife will attest to my non 
English scholarship because she edited all my papers in college. And uh, she's like, do you speak English? Or you? But anyway, she had to do a lot of editing. Let's just put it that way. There's a couple of things on here that I want to point out that's I- that it's important. So it's important to note the, the part of speech. You guys can see in the black circle that this uh, word, this Greek word translated, alienated, it's a verb. So it denotes a state of being, right? It's, it's a state of being. And elsewhere in the scriptures we're going to look at in a little bit later, it's going to say that by nature we were alienated. It's part of our DNA because we inherited our sinful nature from Adam in the fall. It is who we are pre-Christ. It's not something we've done. It's, it's who we are as much as it is being male or being female or being anything else. It's who you are. And then we see in the red circle that the word apolotrio, uh, which is translated alienated, comes from a Greek um, uh, preposition, apo, which is that G575, apo, and then it is a derivative of another Greek word, alotrio. And so what we want to do, and this can get kind of repetitive, I get it, but what we want to do is we want to really drill down and we want to find out what these words mean. So, okay, so this is the Greek preposition apo. It's got several definitions or ways that it can be used. What I think was most applicable for us was C, of any kind of separation of one thing from another by which the union or fellowship of the two is destroyed. So it's a little bit stronger than God is upset with us or God is uh, not pleased with us. It's we don't have fellowship with we don't have fellowship with God. That fellowship has been broken. Can you guys see that? Sort of. It's on your uh, study sheets. I'm not sure how well they copied. And then this is for alotrio. So belonging to another, being strange, not of one's own family, alien, an enemy. So put those two together, right? And it you kind of get the sense that it means we belong to somebody else. We're not, we don't belong to God. And then because... Of that, we're alienated from him. We're cut off from him. Now, you can see this. Peter talks about this, too. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Now you're a holy priesthood. So there's, there's a definite distinction between what we were before and what we are now. Okay. And then the last thing we want to do is we want to look at different usages of this same word. And this is where a concordance search, if you had the big... If you had the big paperback one, you would look and it would just be pages and pages and pages and pages of entries for different words. So what they translate as G526, which is alienated, it's only found in these three places in Scripture. So Ephesians 2.12, Ephesians 4.18, and Colossians 1.21. So that word that they've translated is only found in those three places. And that, again, is going to give us another sense of what this word means. 
because we really want to know. We really want to know because if it, we're, the reason you really want to know is not because I said so, but if you are trying to find an application in your life, you really want to know what that means so that you can interpret that correctly. You don't want to shortchange the work of digging in and finding out what things mean and because when you get to application, you're going you're gonna to mistake application if you haven't done the, the work up front. Does that make sense? Okay, so Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, no hope, and without God in the world. So that's pretty bad. Uh, Ephesians 4.18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Okay, so what those both, what you can both, what you, excuse me, what you can take from both of those is that our condition was hopeless. It's irrevocable. And here's my joke. Okay. So as Miracle Max says, so how bad was it really? Who has not seen The Princess Bride? Really? Oh. No, 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 no. It's okay. Some people just are. Okay. No. We love you anyway. Um, all right. If you haven't seen The Princess Bride, you need to. It's like the greatest movie of all time. Uh, way back in that misspent youth, I could quote probably 95% of the movie. I'd seen it that many times. Anyway, so we were all dead, right? Which, as you know, the only thing you can do when you're all dead is go through their pockets for loose change. <laughs> all right. Yeah, so it, it's not, I, I keep beating a dead horse, right? No pun, no pun intended. But we really want to get the sense that this, is, this was bad. We were, we were hopeless. We were without hope. But the good news, right? The good news is that Christ reconciled us. And not just a little bit, not just picked us up and dusted us off and polished us off. He reconciled us completely, right? Which is why Paul can say in Romans 8 that now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? That not only are we reconciled, but the scripture says we are co-heirs with Christ. We will rule, we will judge the angels all those things are ours because Christ reconciled us to God through his death and so that's should be really really good news to all of us okay so discussion group getting your discussion groups uh, you've got questions on there we're going to take let me give you 15 ish minutes so if you want to turn, however you guys want to get into your groups, and then go through those questions. So one of the things that was not on my slide but is on your study sheet, um, the Vines Expository Dictionary, it's on the page with discussion group number one. Uh, the call-out box with the definition, the actual definition was not on my slide, so I, I skipped over it. And I don't want to skip over it. I want to go back to it quickly. And it talks about, so when you click on that, um, it'll give you the definition of that word. And we're not going to read that entire thing, but um, 
let's see, the part I want to focus in on, okay, is kind of three quarters of the way down in that paragraph. The basis of the change being the peace affected through the blood of his cross. It is the divine purpose on the ground of the work of Christ accomplished on the cross to bring the whole universe except rebellious angels and unbelieving man into full accord with the mind of God. So what I wanted to point out was there's an asterisk on there is that in Christ, God is reconciling us to him. God is the injured party. God has no reason to reconcile with us. But in the, the language of Ephesians, because of his great love for us, he did. But it is God who's doing the reconciling, not us. And the other thing I wanted to point out is that reconciled completely means that th for all intents and purposes, the war is over. Christ has been victorious and the war is done. The fact that there are still elements that don't know the war is done doesn't mean the war is not done. I don't know if you guys remember, I think it was, um, was it back in, well, maybe you didn't remember. But anyway, there's a there was a Japanese soldier that walked out of the jungle in 1970-something, right? And he thought he was still at war. He was still at war for all intents and purposes. He was at war with the United States. Well, the United States had won the war, what is that, 20, I can't do public math, 28, 27 years prior to that. The war was over. The world had moved on. There was peace, right? But this guy was still fighting. Well, that is what Satan and the rest of his crew is doing now. The, the war's done. It's over. Uh, the, if you read Revelation, the final war is not going to be very long. It's not going to be protracted. It's not going to take that long. God's going to open his mouth, or Christ is going to open his mouth, and he's going to slay all his enemies. So when... It says reconciled, it, it means that's it. There is peace. And it's for us to live in that peace, to walk in that peace, and to carry that peace to other people. So I just wanted to make sure I pointed that out because it was not on my slide. Okay, uh, there will be a chance for you guys to report out at the end. So this is verse 23 and 24. And Paul is saying, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So here is Paul. He's saying, you guys were, you were alienated, and you're reconciled, and now walk in that, continue in that. Here's your marching orders. Go forth, go do that and that is a theme that Paul returns to quite a bit in his epistles it's most explicit in Galatians but in almost all of Paul's epistles you can hear this call to continue keep going keep marching and here's why you keep marching because the war's done but there's still land that needs to be subdued there are still people to gather into the to the family of God and so keep going secure in the fact that you're safe you're secure. The battle's already been won. But get with it. Get going. Keep on. Now, this does not mean, this is not a conditional, um, I've got to be careful how I say this. 
this does not mean salvation is conditional, right? If you do these things, we're not under the old covenant. Remember the curse on, was it Mount Ebal and the other mountain? I can't remember. Uh, the blessings. Blessings and the curse of the old covenant. We're not under that. Romans 8, again, there is no condemnation for those in Christ. Neither sword, famine, nothing can snatch us out of God's hands. But it does mean that we need to keep moving. We've got a job to do. We still have work to do as long as we're here, and we need to be about it. And so that's what Paul was telling the Colossians. Continue on, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. And there have been, this year and the past couple of years, there have been several well-publicized defections from Christianity. We're not going to get into whether they were really saved or... But part of what happens is people, they're not stable and they're not steadfast and they shift from the hope of the gospel to something else. And the minute you do that, your whole world just starts, your equilibrium is off, the ground shifts under you, and, and things are just not good. And we've, we've seen that with Joshua Harris, Marty Sampson... There have been a couple of others in the past year. but it's So this is not something that Paul wrote way back when, and only the Colossians need to pay attention to it. We all need to pay attention to it because there are tons of things, most of them that come through this little device right here, that are vying for our attention, that don't want us to be steadfast, don't want us to be stable. Okay, So Paul's call to all of us is to keep going, and it's our call, too. So uh, you've got discussion. We're going to take, uh, let's take eight minutes. Yeah, seven, eight minutes. Um, and do that. Then we'll come back, wrap up, and then I have a, vi I have a video for you. So we've got a, we've got a roving mic back here. We're going to take, I don't know, five-ish minutes or so. If there's anything you wanted to report back out of your discussion groups that's uh, brief and relevant, you think, for everybody, uh, we want to do that, give you an opportunity to do that. So anything from any of the discussion groups, any questions, any, because we want to wrap up. So we talked about uh, how it's important to share your faith as a part of this whole uh, reconciliation process and how, how remembering that we were alienated from Christ can help us sympathize with non-believers and so when sympathizing with them you know we can understand where they're at what they're kind of going through because we've been there and then uh share the gospel to help them know to know jesus and kind of different ways to do that just one quick thing on the first um discussion questions number three about explaining alienation and reconciliation to a non-believer we talked about explaining sin and falling short and using the word crimes. You know, should someone be punished for their crimes and how we've all committed crimes against God? It's interesting you say that because when we were in Japan, uh, there is no word for sin in Japanese. The word for sin is criminal. And uh, so that was one of the, when you talk to a Japanese person, well, I'm not a criminal. I'm not, because they think Yakuza. Right, they think the mob or the mafia. Well, I'm not that. And so that kind of, it's interesting how different languages have, yeah, you absolutely were a criminal. You were rebellious in front of, in front of you, the one who made you. So, yeah, you are a criminal.
But that was one of the barriers to them because they're like, no, I'm not, I'm not Yakuza. Okay, anything else? Okay. Ow. Oh, is there a nurse? Okay, a lot of you have probably seen this viral video. If you haven't, I'm going to give you a little background. So this happened this week in a courtroom in Dallas. And so I think it was over a year ago, maybe 15, 16 months ago, a white police officer in Dallas, Amber Geiger, walked into what she thought was her apartment and saw a black man on the couch eating ice cream. She shot him in the chest and killed him. Turned out that it was not her apartment, it was his apartment. She had gone into, she had gone one floor up. His apartment was directly above hers. And uh, she killed him. She invoked the castle doctrine, which said she was in fear because she thought she was in her apartment and she had a right to stand her ground. Obviously, the jury disagreed. They sentenced her to 10 years in prison. And they had uncovered some other things, but we're not going to get into the, whether the sentence was lenient or too lenient. What I want to point out is this was the sentencing phase. And the man that you see hugging her is the victim's brother, uh, Brant Botham. I think that's his name, right, Brant? Um, and the reason I'm showing you this video is because this is what a reconciled life looks like, right? So what he told her, what he said to her, and then what he did is the natural outgrowth of what we've been talking about in Colossians. This is what it looks like when you understand where you've been, how your life has been reconciled, that you are free in Christ, and this is the result. So it's about four minutes, three minutes. We're probably not going to watch the entire thing. Um, but I do want you to listen to what this young man has to say. Okay? And his mother said some things, which I think you should go look at the video of her as well. Right? So th there, was a call for, there was a call for mercy and there was a call for justice. And his church applauded when this happened. But listen, guys, when we live out what we've been called to do, when we live the way that Christ has redeemed us, it is nuts to a watching world. It is absolute insanity. They can't understand it. They have no frame of reference for it. It's, it's just bananas to them. Yes. Okay. I don't want to say twice or for the hundredth time what you've or how much you've taken from us. I think you know that. But I just, I hope you go to God with all what, all the guilt, all the things, the bad things you may have done in the past. Each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do. If you truly are sorry, I know 
I can speak for myself. I I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do and the best would be give your life to Christ I'm not going to say anything else I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do again I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please. Yes. Okay, so they hug for a couple more minutes. Um, okay, so hopefully that was impactful, but, but that is the practical application of what we're talking about. That is hands and feet, Jesus Christ, a reconciled life. So let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you so much. Um, for taking people who had rebelled and who were by nature children of wrath uh, without hope and without God. But uh, Father, your word says, but because of your great love for us, that you made us alive. And so we thank you for that. Father, help us to uh, remember that we are alive. Help us remember that we are dearly beloved, dear God, to walk in that. And uh, to tell others, dear God, that they can be alive as well. Uh, Father, as you guide us this week, uh, we just pray, dear God, that we would honor you, that we would be the hands and feet of Christ, that we would be uh, the body, that we would be the people you intended for us to be, dear Lord. Uh, Father, be with us as we go to service. Just let us honor you in all that we do, dear God. It's in your beautiful name we ask it. Amen. You guys are dismissed.